Welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions. Before you go out and spend money on that new movie, make sure to listen to the entire show right here on the Voice America Kids channel. We'll take you behind the scenes and preview new movies and DVD releases. Now, here are your hosts for Kids First Coming Attractions. Welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm Jerry Orris, and today we're going to be talking about a lot of wonderful films, but first, I have the pleasure of introducing Richard Little, who is the visual effects supervisor for the brand new film, Dora and the Lost City of Gold. He works with the movie picture company, and he has done a lot of amazing visual effects in the past, including Pirates of the Caribbean, Guardians of the Galaxy, and even V for Vendetta. But, Richard, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you doing today? Oh, yeah, uh, quite good. Thank you very much for inviting me. No, we're doing very well, thank you. I'm glad to hear. And before we get started, could you just explain a little bit what the roles and responsibilities are for a visual effects supervisor? Well, I suppose one of the, the main roles of a visual effects supervisor is the sort of creative sort of spearhead for the, the film, basically, with that. And he also uh, liaises with the production and the director in particular, and obviously talking through creative ideas, uh, the problems that occur on, sh- on the shoot, and then also taking all this information and ideas from the shoot, and then hopefully trying to pr- uh, finish the post-production process with the director and the producer. You know, I really just love how visual effects can really be done anywhere. For example, uh, this film, it was shot in Australia. You are based in London. The producing studios are in Los Angeles. What was it like to have a truly global team working on this project? <laughs> yeah, when, when, you, when you explain it like that, it does sound quite uh, quite an amazing feat. I mean, obviously, in, in this type of uh, period of our lives at the moment, you know, technology plays a huge, huge part, obviously, in this, because obviously communication, you know, is without it, we wouldn't be able to do our jobs in this global sort of presence, you say, from that point of view. So, yeah, you know, shooting in Australia... Uh, and obviously a studio based in LA and obviously we're, we're doing the post in London. It did have its its sort of, you know, like working on that. At times, it was always a pleasure. I, I really enjoy it. I must admit, what we do, I'm, I, I do feel I'm very lucky to do what I'm doing just because um, I try to make pretty pictures every day, which not everybody can say they do that from that point of view. I think that the time, the time scale between for London I think uh, Adelaide, uh, or just outside of Adelaide, I think it was where a lot of it was shot, were, is about a sort of 12-hour sort of time difference. And then we have from London to LA, you've got an eight-hour difference. So if we're talking to, trying to talk to Adelaide, should we say, at the end of their day, it is probably, you know, it's, it's the start of hours, and, and, and it's the middle of the night, for, or just after sort of uh, midnight, with LA from that point of view. So there was multiple... Com, um, should we say meetings through Skype and calls and this type of scenario from that point of view? And what we obviously with it, with the internet and stuff, thing, we tend to get sort of single frame images, some quick times as well, so visually you can talk to the client with them. We have a sort of a network of, of, of basically what happens is we all hook up and where we visually look at the images and we can draw and we can we can uh, the audio obviously allows us to communicate, but then. We, the director and myself can then talk about the images that are going on and we communicate that way. So it's like, it's the time difference is a major, major problem, especially when they were shooting. But it's like technology is a massive, massive advantage now. You know, let's say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I don't think it would have been, it would have been hugely problematic for sure, where now it's, it is, it's not easy, but I think it's a lot easier than it was previously. You know, I just love that about visual effects. It is absolutely on the cutting edge forefront of technology, and it's always taking advantage of the 
best and newest releases that are coming from computer science, engineering, anywhere. So I'm really glad to hear that the project was able to, you know, utilize modern communication. And like you said, technology has changed so much in the last 20 years. And you worked on uh, films in the early 2000s when, you know, CGI was first growing and expanding, kind of getting traction. So how do you think this project now in 2019 differed from those in the past? Uh, it's a very, very good question. How does it differ? I mean, when I first sort of got into the industry, Say just before sort of the, the, the uh, two thousand, it was it was uh, there was a lot. Of, uh, I would say simpler. Simpler is the wrong word, but a little bit more of a traditional approach from that point of view. We would obviously we, we were obviously creating three D uh, objects and creatures at that point as well. But I think the development in so many uh, aspects. Let's take uh, for instance with in comparison. Uh, let's take uh, Boots, the monkey that we produced for obviously Dora the Explorer here and compare it to uh, a creature that was done sort of around that time because one of my first uh, films was lost in space with matt leblanc which is sort of 1998 and there was this uh, alien creature there anyway is that the one thing about it is that the development the speed that we can work out is obviously a, a lot quicker where previously back in sort of you know around 1998 it took you know poor a month uh, months and months and months just to render things you know before before you would test it or anything like that from that point an animation would take eight months to 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 animate you know a handful of shots and this type of thing so i think you know that's that's the big thing i think these days is that is the speed i mean we technologically we've we've advanced we know a lot more about how light works with with, with textures with animated creatures with everything like that but i think and i think the, the big difference is, is obviously, uh, once again, down to the, the speed that we can work up, but also I think our uh, understanding and knowledge of visual effects and being a little bit more creative with it and being allowed to be a lot more creative with it, where before we were restricted because of time, just because it, it took so long, you know, so long to do anything, now we are certainly not limited by that at all from that point of view. But I think it's just the mind is the only sort of bent, is the only stumbling block. How creative and, and what ideas can you come up with in some respects? And once again, you know, uh, financially as well, does, does play a little, little bit of a part on that at the same time. But that's the, bit that, once again, the biggest difference is, is the time it takes to achieve anything. The quality of the renters now these days as well are above and beyond. I mean, every year you see the, the Academy Awards and, uh, and, it, uh, and to see the visual effects is i mean all of the guys that get, that get these academy or get nominated from that point of view because every year with some company is pushing the boundary again uh, and it makes you start to think about it in a slightly different way and in turn that allows you to be and you take on that and yet with your different change of perspective you you, tr you come up with a different idea that sometimes can be can be surprising let's put that way. you know it's just so fascinating to me how technology has so has gone so much faster in the last 20 years oh. and it's not that long of a time at all you're listening to kids first coming attractions and right now we're talking to richard little and we're just talking about the visual effects industry in general but specifically we're going to be talking about now his role as the visual effects supervisor of dora and the lost city of gold and by the way dora and the lost city of gold is coming in on dvd very soon so definitely check that out and richard I just kind of want to bounce off what you said. It really fascinates me, like looking at the first Toy Story films, which was, of course, yeah. all animation, all CGI. Exactly. They were so forefront of technology that they actually had to wait in the progression. This is one of my favorite facts. They had to wait in their progression until computers could actually handle rendering them. So, which, 
it's just really fascinating. And I want to also talk a little bit about Boots specifically because, like you said, Boots is a fully animated character. You know, he sadly is not in real life. You guys, the amazing artists, had to create him in post-production. So can you talk a little bit about the process of Boots and what was it like for actors on set and trying to mimic Boots' emotions all on a computer after the fact? Totally, totally. And um, well, what we, um, in the in the, the sort of pre-production before um, James Bobbins, the director, went to shoot in Australia, we, we were throwing the ideas together of how we can help the actors, the, the, you know, the director and the cameraman sort of understand the size, what he's going to do from this type of thing. We did a little bit of sort of what we would term is, 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 is pre-production or post previs basically, where we would, we would basically mock up and animate boots in certain scenarios. So we would talk about his, his sort of personality and this type of thing so people could understand from that point of view. And then what we also did was made several sort of maquette models that we, we had on a long stick that we could at least give the cameraman, director, and actors something to work with. So we, we sent over uh, one of our, uh, an animation supervisor to over there to actually work with the actual production and the cameraman and the director so they got something to work with and they had something to bounce off from that point of view from there. And then, for, and yeah, that was, that was a big, you know, first of all, one of the biggest challenges is to, is to, for us all to agree on, understand exactly you know, what will be in the, in the shot at the time from that point of view. And obviously, we also done a lot of work with the art department as well of taking, because it's interesting, the film or Boots as a character is very interesting because uh, obviously Dora, as we, we know and love her, is, is, a, is a 2D animated uh, cartoon, effectively. And obviously, it's got primary colours, it's very vivid, it's obviously got appeal to a mass market, you know, got appeal, appeal to young, young children from that. And then taking that and placing it into a live action scene, we had to have a lot of discussions over very, many, many months about uh, and working with the art department and James very closely. So, how photo real do we want it to be? Do we want it to feel like a, you know, a monkey that's slightly, you know, a, uh, a slightly different colour. Is it? It does have a lot more emotion going on, and that can, I'll come to that with uh, when we talk about the animation. In, 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 but we did a lot of yeah creative drawings and a lot of sort of creative meetings to discuss how we should we should visualise him in the real world effectively from that. And, and James was very had some fantastic ideas. I must admit, the director James Bobby, he he was very he was um. He had, he had very direct, he had very clear vision for him from that point of view, which helped our uh, artist a hell of a lot from that point of view. And in turn, we would then, we, we took some big, we made some posters of it. We obviously made the 3D maquette of him that could take him onto the set. So it helped everybody from there. And then we started to sort of build him in three dimensions as they were filming from that. And we would send James uh, sort of weekly or every, or every other week. Uh, updates of the build. We will put him into this turntable, put him different lighting scenarios uh, from that. And at that point, then our animation team started to work and just do tests. You know, how does he walk? How does he? How does he talk? Well, he doesn't talk, but how does he express himself from this point of view? And that was an interesting point because there's only what obviously one. He doesn't talk very much in the film, but what we wanted from him to be very expressive in his face. You know, he had to have, he had to have some connection to the original, you know, two uh, D animation as well, which was very important to us to keep that connect that strong connection to the to the very popular animation, basically from that. So yes, that was say that took many months of, of before they started shooting, and 
and in the post-production process as well, they'd actually finished finished shooting as well to really develop Boots as a character from that. So yes, it, it did take a hell of a long time. It's just really amazing how now we're kind of against our own technology because this doesn't, of course, just happen with this film. It's happening with a lot of visual effects films now, like The Lion King had this issue, Jungle Book had this issue where the animals look too realistic, so they're not that animated anymore. That's yes, just exactly. So, it's just so interesting the kind of issues that we have from our own genius of creating technology. Well, I think you made. I think you do make a very good, interesting point there, actually, which is always comes down to it. I mean. We were fortunate enough to, where James wanted to uh, still have a very strong connection to the to the animated uh, cartoon of Dora, and so that allowed us to be a little bit more expressive. Because obviously, you know, monkeys generally, depending on the sort of breed, of uh, you know, do are fascinating creatures. They are they can be very expressive at certain points of this type of thing. And obviously, we we took that natural base and amplified it even more because ultimately. We, it wasn't. We weren't trying to be. We were. Uh, we were trying to be sort of photo real, but at the same time, still have a strong connection to the original, to the original sort of animated creature. Where something like Jungle Book or or Lion King, you know, what we see now is that it is restricted because people, you want you want people to. It, in particular, Lion King wants to be almost a, a sort of a Richard Attenborough sort of docu a documentary about wildlife that actually had. I actually had a you know a story point to it. So we, once again, as you right pointed out, there's a bit of restrictions on what animals can and can't do physically anyway that we we naturally understand. So they, you know we had a we were allowed a little bit more sort of expressive freedom with boots. Where I you know I do I do know that the guys that worked on obviously Jungle Book and Lightning were a little bit more sort of you know had had a, a bit more restriction on their sort of animation for sure. Absolutely. Well, Richard, thank you so much for talking to me about Dora and the Lost City of Gold, as well as the visual effects department as well. No problem at all. Anytime. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. For our audience, make sure to check out Dora and the Lost City of Gold. It's going to be coming on DVD soon, so definitely check it out. It's an absolutely phenomenal film, in my opinion, so I would recommend it. Let's take a break. I'm Jerry Orris from Los Angeles, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. This week's show is sponsored by Yokai Watch Season 1, Volume 2. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com To become a Kids First Film Critic, enter one of our local campaigns running throughout the year or join our national campaign this fall. We are looking for kids ages 7 to 16 who love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to see movies before anyone else does. All you need to do to enter is submit a written and videotaped review of one of our selected films and then reach out to your friends and family to vote for you. This summer, join us at one of our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps in three cities, New York, Washington, D.C., and Martha's Vineyard, where you can learn how to critique films and practice your on-camera and acting skills. Check it all out at www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to be one of America's next film critics? Just visit kidsfirst.org for more information. Hurry, our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps are filling up fast. Join our team of youth reporters and help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose to go see. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. On the Right Road with host Paula Phillips has arrived at Voice America. 
With remarkable heart and realness, this popular program brings inspiration, ideas, opportunities, and help to teachers and parents around the globe who work daily to guide kids on the right road in school and in life. Join the Right Road family of kindness, uplifting, and support. Tune in to On the Right Road, live every first and third Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Shh! Turn off your phone. Another movie review is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm Alejandra Garcia from Miami, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking about Richard Little, about Dora and the Lost City of Gold, and next we'll be talking with Sarah Berliner. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Good. Thank, thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yes. And Sarah, you're the North Fork Teen Festival director. How does that feel? Um, it's great. It's great. I created the family program. And so I'm the director of all the um, children's programming that we do at the festival. Yes, it's very interesting. And the this year's, well, the, the tw- 2019 theme is The Power of Kindness and it honors children's television pioneer and social impact executive Alice Kahn. Well, why is she the exceptional individual to receive such a tribute? What is so special about her to gain this award or this honor in the festival? Well, Alice is responsible for some TV shows that have been part of generations of kids and have had a huge impact on childhood. So shows like Sesame Street, like Arthur like the Magic School Bus, Barney, and Teletubbies. She's responsible for bringing those shows onto American airwaves, um, where they have remained now uh, ever since. And she is someone who brought the idea of social responsibility uh, and kindness and empathy and anti-bullying to the forefront of the content that grownups were making for kids um, at a time when there was really a concern um, that the early days of Sesame Street, where they were teaching um, kids how to behave toward each other and how to take care of themselves and their families and their communities, that there wasn't enough uh, content out there that uh, also had like-minded values. And so she's really been a powerful force in bringing things like kindness to the forefront. Yes, it's very interesting to see her contribution to this new era that is happening. And in the point of view of a woman with such an eventful and interesting trajectory like yourself, what do you think makes good programming for children nowadays? Well, I like to think of it as um, programming for kids where they feel like it's fun, they feel like it is exciting, they feel like they're learning, whether it's explicit, uh, explicitly learning or not, you know, sometimes yeah. kids don't know that they're learning. Um, but, you know, I find that kids love to learn and 
that it's not a bad thing for uh, them to encounter something, you know, educational concepts in a show anymore. Like, I think kids get it that um, that's, you know, a really fun way to take a deep dive into a topic to learn about things that they maybe didn't know before to explore new places and new worlds. Yeah. So it would happen to me that, well, well, when I was little that I would watch shows or movies like dedicated or targeted towards kids. And without me even thinking about it, I would learn something like throughout the plot. So I understand where you're, where you're coming from and your opinion on that. Yeah, I think that um, right now a, a great thing about the programming that people are making for kids is that there's a lot of it. There's a lot of choice. And I think that it's really important for kids to be able to choose their own stuff to watch. It shouldn't be really dictated by parents or teachers. You know, it should be something that they really find like engaging and interesting and I think if we trust kids kids are going to find the good stuff that's out there and you know want to watch it and make it possible for for those creators to keep making more no yes I completely agree well right now you're listening to kids first coming attractions today we're talking with Sarah Bellinger about her festival and about Alice Can well going back to the topic we were talking about before do you think um children's programming has changed with like within the years or do you think it's set, it's set with the same pattern I think what's changed is the variety of options that are out there for kids um I think that it's really important for kids to be able to choose what they want to watch whether it's okay. fantastical story worlds and fiction or whether it's non-fiction whether it's animation or live action Kids should have a lot of choice and be able to really follow their heart when they're choosing what to watch. So you've got something like, say, Odd Squad, you know, which is a fictional world, but it's mostly realistic. It has live action characters, you know, the actors. Um, something like that is going to be really different from, you know, an underwater world or uh, something that takes place in space, right? Yeah. And, is, and is totally animated. So to me, that's the great thing about what's happening in uh, storytelling for kids right now is that the, the options are kind of endless um, and, you know, kids can really express their preferences by what they choose to watch. Yes. And, you know, being somebody that has been in the children's and TV industry for all these years, um, do you think the variety or the different platforms that children's programming can be streamed through is different or is it more beneficial now that we can, you know, not only see children's programming through TV, but also through iPads, other screenings? What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that it probably makes it tough for some families because there yeah. are going to be a lot of different places and it's going to be kind of um, siloed. Like if you want to watch, you know, content from this company, you have to go to their, you know, app. And if you want to watch content right. from this other company. Um, so my hope is that companies will continue to play nice with each other and license yeah, their content, you know, so that, you know, you're not having to constantly flip between different 
viewing uh, platforms um, and, you know, which I think can sort of reduce the experience. So, yeah, my hope is that you ultimately can watch uh, everything everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, because um, like in the older in the older days, you would only see children's programming or TV shows and et cetera through television. And that was pretty much it. But now with technology advancing and, you know, all these apps, all these screenings, it's a little bit. You know, there's more variety for kids to pick and choose, but then it also makes it more complicated for some of them. Very true. Very true. And and for some uh, some shows, it ends up making it hard to build a following because they might be, you know, kind of locked into this one place where maybe there aren't a lot of kid viewers. Um, right. And then it's hard for them to get the numbers that they need to prove to the people who are in charge of the budget to mm-hmm. say, hey, we should make a second season of this. Um, and, you know, so that can be hard for for creators. Um, but the flip side of, of having so many different places is that there are a lot of different um, distribution points and these the companies that that have these streaming platforms and 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 even traditional network and cable everyone's competing and they're all trying to make the best work possible so that their stuff can stand out which me- leads to right. more choice for kids so you're absolutely right from that perspective it's a really good thing um, and the other th- aspect of it that's awesome I think is yeah. just not being locked into when you watch stuff. I mean, when I was growing up, it was Saturday morning or you just missed it. Right. You know? And if today, whenever is the time that you have for your screen time, yes. you know, the stuff is available. Yeah. It's uh, it's amazing to see how technology has uh, advanced. Like it's changed like our routine because of what you were saying before you would only get a, like a slot to watch it and that was it. But now you could, you know, adapt to your different hours. So yeah, I completely agree with that. And to finish off, you know, being the director of the Children's Programming for the North Fork TV Festival and your trajectory, which is very eventful, it's very interesting to see how you've managed to be involved in so many things and creating so many aspects of this industry. What is your advice to People my age that are tra- that are starting their lives out after high school that want to pursue a career in storytelling and the TV industry. Well, one thing that really worked well for me is to g- get a history of uh, folklore and mythology and storytelling um, from cultures around the world and from different eras to understand. <laughs> Um, the context for storytelling, why do we tell stories, um, what, is, what is the sort of um, the use of stories um, in, in a culture. And that's really yeah. like a view from, from say, anthropology. Um, that was really useful to me as a background for then wanting to help tell my own stories inside my head or to enable other people to tell theirs. Um, but I think that, uh, on a more kind of day-to-day level, it's really just writing down the stories that you think of. It's collaborating with other people to come up with stories together. It's drawing stuff or, you know, if you love comics, just 
drawing a comic and a, and do a story from start to finish and right. do your your setup and establish um, a conflict and see it through to the resolution or to not a resolution. Right. Um, and I think that just getting that, it's almost like muscle memory. Once you get in the habit of seeing a story through and seeing like what is going to be interesting and what's going to draw your reader or your viewer from the beginning to the end. Um, right. And that's a skill that you will be able to apply in almost any professional context that, you know, where you might be um, as an adult. And even if you're not in storytelling or entertainment professionally, right. um, yeah. you know, whether you're an educator or a doctor or anything else, um, I think the, that ability to tell a story will be of use. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being here. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I wish you a more or a more prosperous career because you've had such a successful trajectory, but I wish you the best. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, let's take a break. I'm Alejandra Garcia from Miami, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by Karen the Hat Knows a Lot About That, Season 3, Volume 2. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com To become a Kids First Film Critic, enter one of our local campaigns running throughout the year or join our national campaign this fall. We are looking for kids ages 7 to 16 who love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to see movies before anyone else does. All you need to do to enter is submit a written and videotaped review of one of our selected films and then reach out to your friends and family to vote for you. This summer, join us at one of our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps in three cities, New York, Washington, D.C., and Martha's Vineyard, where you can learn how to critique films and practice your on-camera and acting skills. Check it all out at www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to be one of America's next film critics? Just visit kidsfirst.org for more information. Hurry, our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps are filling up fast. Join our team of youth reporters and help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose to go see. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Shh, turn off your phone. Another movie review is coming up. Hey, I'm Arjun from Brentwood, Tennessee, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We have just been talking about Dora and the Lost City of Gold and with the wonderful Sarah Berliner, who is the director of children's programming um, in Northfolk TV Festival. And next, we will be talking with a pretty packed group, Benjamin, Callista, Catherine, and Zoe, about the new release, Ad Astra. How's it going? Good. Pretty good. good? Yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to watching it. We'll be checking it out this weekend. Just I've, I've been excited for it just because I'm a huge Brad Pitt fan, and the trailers looked amazing. So, Catherine, can you tell us a little about what this movie's about? 
So, um, obviously, uh, the film title um, is Ad Astra, which is a Latin phrase, which means to the stars, but just so you know. Um, it is about an astronaut named Roy McBride, who's played by Brad Pitt, who goes into space um, to find his father, who is played by Tommy Lee Jones, who was also an astronaut. And so when his father went to work in the Luna Project, he went with, or so Roy thinks. He's called in and told that his father might be alive, and he sent across solar system to find him. All right. Sounds like a very interesting plot. Lots of father, um, son trying to find missing father scenarios in movies nowadays. Uh, how are the special effects, Benjamin? Because it's a very space-oriented movie. Yeah, they're stunning. And I feel like um, the special effects, they're not just for show. They're sort of telling, helping tell the story. And, um, I mean, just the some of the shots of this endless um, space and that endless void and how good it looks is just really amazing. So it, it felt like it was all very accurate, um, like with what happens real life in space. Yes. That's good to hear. Callisto, what did you think about the story? Did you think it was compelling enough, or um, did you think that it was overshadowed by the special effects? Oh, it was definitely not overshadowed by the special effects. I feel like, I feel like especially because, uh, as previously stated, the special effects don't feel too showy, which I think is a good thing because I feel like the story is definitely what should be more focused on. Because I'm just gonna say it right now, this is definitely like it seems like it. But when you watch it, this definitely does not feel like a typical Hollywood movie. It feels a lot more, I'm trying to say this without saying spoilers, but it feels a lot more somber and theme-oriented than a typical like Hollywood space movie would be. And I feel like there's a lot to discuss uh, in this movie in terms of what it has to say about things like uh, legacies and searching for something more. And I feel like that's definitely uh, this film's greatest strength. That's good to hear. I'm always interested in um, seeing different routes of sci-fi, especially after we kind of got it with um, the recent, I believe it was called Arrival. I thought that was a very interesting alien invasion flick, which didn't rely too much on action and more on the dialogue. Uh, Callisto, what did you think about, were there any action scenes in the movie or was it just all... um, not really action scenes, just more dialogue focus. There were, like, scenes that I would vaguely consider action scenes, but they're kind of brief. So I, like, I, I don't really know what, like, how long, like, and big a scene needs to be to be classified as an action film. But there are a few, like, high-stakes moments that tech, I guess they technically count, but, I mean, all of them are kind of spoilery, so I can't really go that much into detail. All right, so that's good to hear. There are a few, just a, just a few moments for those action junkies out there. Benjamin, what do you think about the cast? Uh, we have a very compelling cast from Brad Pitt to Liv Tyler to even Tommy Lee Jones. So how did they do in their performances? Yeah, you have a very good supporting cast, but I feel like something you should know before going in is uh, a lot of those supporting characters have very small roles. This is very much Brad Pitt's movie. Um, I think almost every scene, he definitely has a majority of screen time. 
Um, and I think he did a fantastic job with his performance. He's very dialed back. There's a lot of nuance and subtlety to his performance. And it's not, a, it's not super, how do I say this? It's not super overdone. It's a lot more about what's going on beneath the surface with his character. And I thought he did a very good job. That's good to hear. You know, it's always good to hear a good nuance performance. And no one other than Brad, Brad, Kitt, Brad Pitt could really do it for this movie. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today we are talking about Dora and the Lost City of Gold and the wonderful Sarah Berliner, who is the director of children's programming at um, Northfolk TV Festival. And right now we, we're talking about Ad Astra. So let's continue our, our discussion. Callista, did you feel like there was a lot of surprise to the plot? Like, were there any plot twists per se? There are certain moments that I guess you could say surprised me. I necessarily wouldn't call them plot twists because I feel like they are, but they are, but they do technically sort of like change how the plot is going to go. This is definitely a film where you can't, where like, it feels like your basic expectations are going to be flipped because I'm, I had seen basically no trailers for this movie. It seemed like there was a lot of advertisement for this movie, but I guess I just didn't find any of it. So I went in with very little, like, expectations but i did kind of get the feeling that this is going to be like a big action sci-fi thing which it was not and so i definitely feel like in general this is not really a film that you can predict like it's very different than like what you would expect very interesting so not not a very conventional movie per se oh definitely not Zoe, how do you feel about the pacing of the movie? Did you feel it was very slow at times, or was it all really fast and sort of adventurous? Actually, I did think that the story could get very slow at some times. There are some, like, action peaks that, like, shake your emotions, but, like, while I was watching it, I kind of wish that there was more going on, but I do understand that the film is kind of just basing um, Roy McBride's kind of journey to find his father. All right, I see. I kind of expected that watching the trailers because uh, they didn't seem to show too many, too much of the action beats, so they could be more um, dialogue-driven, which is always good. Uh, Benjamin, what would you say are good messages to take away from the movie? Sort of, honestly, yeah, the message I took, at least, was kind of don't be afraid to deal with emotion. Roy McBride is raised by his father to be very stoic and not show a lot of his pain and his grief. And when he thinks he's lost his father, you know, that really starts to affect him. The way his personality, it helps him thrive at work, but his personal life really suffers. And he doesn't have a lot of people who care about him. And I think the message to take is uh, don't be afraid to show your emotions. So, Benjamin, I was really interested by what you just said about uh, Roy's sort of internal struggle. Like, not not much people care about him. Is that like a big focus of the movie or... uh... Is it just kind of like a side, like a side thing? I'd say it becomes greater as the movie goes on. The closer he gets to his father's location, because um, you know he's out there in space alone and he has to deal with all this personal baggage of his. And I thought it was interesting as it kind of shifts to be sort of become the focus of the movie, where it's no longer about this quest to find his father, but this quest to find himself. Very interesting. Callista, what do you think of the cinematography of the movie? Because, like, from what I saw from the trailers, there seemed to be some really scenic shots. Oh, yeah, definitely. I feel like this film definitely uh, took advantage of 
the space setting to have a lot of very, I wouldn't really, like, just very interesting shots. Because I feel like this whole movie has this sort of, like, well, for lack of a better word, sort of spacey and, like, isolated feeling to the whole film. And I feel like the cinematography definitely reflects that because there's just a lot of, like, wide shots where it just shows, like, like, just something in the center. And I just, I can't exactly describe it that well, but it definitely feels like the cinematography was trying to take on the feeling of, like, being, like, alone in, like, this vast world. That's good to hear. I'm looking forward to it. So, Zoe, what would you say the star rating and the age rating is? Um, I would probably give this film a 4.5 out of 5 stars, because, I don't know, I feel like there were some secondary characters in the film that, like, didn't really stand out, or I didn't really, like, I just didn't like them that much, and I would give it, um, an age range for 12 to 18, and of course, as, um, adults. Alright, that's good to know. This has been a great discussion for, um, all, all the people listening out there. Ad Astra is definitely a, the more family-friendly pick of the movies coming out this week. You definitely don't want to take your kids to Rambo. So I think the overall consensus is that it's great. Let's take a break. I'm Arjun from Berlin, Tennessee, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by The Cat in the Hat Knows a Lot About That, Season 3, Volume 2. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com To become a Kids First film critic, enter one of our local campaigns running throughout the year or join our national campaign this fall. We are looking for kids ages 7 to 16 who love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to see movies before anyone else does. All you need to do to enter is submit a written and videotaped review of one of our selected films and then reach out to your friends and family to vote for you. This summer, join us at one of our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps in three cities, New York, Washington, D.C., and Martha's Vineyard, where you can learn how to critique films and practice your on-camera and acting skills. Check it all out at www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to be one of America's next film critics? Just visit kidsfirst.org for more information. Hurry, our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps are filling up fast. Join our team of youth reporters and help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose to go see. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. For teens, by teens, and about teens, tune into the uncensored and unedited discussions with young adults on Express Yourself. Every Sunday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Smart, tenacious teen hosts and reporters from around the country speak up and speak out. Express yourself. Visit the website for the show to find out more at ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. And check out the show on the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Sunday. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. tuned in to kids first coming attractions on the voice america kids channel turn off your phone another movie review is coming up hey welcome back i'm alejandra garcia from miami and you're listening to kids first coming attractions we've been talking about 
Richard Little on Dora and Velocity of Gold, Sarah Berliner, which is a director of children's programming at the North Fork TV Festival at Astra, and now we will be talking with Ava Zoe on Downtown Abbey. Hi, how are you guys? Hi. Hey. Well, to start off, can Zoe tell me a little bit about this movie, which is a continuance of the series, correct? Yeah. Um, it's basically about the Crowell family and um, all the employees that live with them. Um, they're okay. a very wealthy family, and they own a state in the countryside of England. And they're very excited to receive the visit of the king and queen of England that's very expected. But it kind of gets sabotaged because the protocol um, from royalty is that they need to bring their own servants. Oh, okay. And did, you, did any of you guys watch the series or no? No, it's just no. Uh, well, Eva, what did you think about the plot itself? Did you think it was catchy or maybe confusing a little bit since it's a continuance of the show? What did you think about it? Um, the plot was a little bit confusing because okay. they introduced the characters and I didn't watch, follow the show. So, yeah, but it took a lot of twists and turns. Yeah, I think that's what happens. When the like they create movies based off like shows, and more specifically, if it's a continuance, because if you basically then I watch the show, you're a little confused and iffy about what will happen. But you were able to understand the plot throughout the movie, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, perfect. And Zoe, what was your favorite part of this film? This is like one of my first films that I don't have a favorite part of. It is like. Oh my gosh! Why? <laughs> It's like the entire film, you're kind of just like staring at it. And because I love these type of movies, but what, yeah, I like, don't really like think drama that. or the half historical like aspects into it. Yeah, like I feel oh, okay. no, because like the royalness, it just, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I completely understand. I know it's a mix of like drama with like history. I completely understand. Do you feel like this, Ava? It was uh, like a mix. Yeah, it was a mix of drama and historical. Yeah. Or why would you recommend this movie to, like, the audience? Like, if you could pick one thing or one aspect of it, what would you, like, say to recommend it? Um, I would say that it's probably easier to understand if you watch the show first. Okay. To take note that it is in the 1920s. Okay. Everything's a little bit different back then. Yeah, I mean, what were some of the different? Well, I mean, how people lived before, its lifestyle, the clothing, it's a huge part, am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so, did you like the, well, I mean, t- touching upon this topic about being set in the 1920s and having all these differences about clothing, style, lifestyle, ways of living, what did you think was, or like, I mean, what was your favorite, like, part of, like, seeing the difference, like, in the, like, of the years? Um, like, or, I mean, what were you most impressed by, like, how people, like, dressed before, how they would talk? I mean. Um, well, they're, like, the way that they talk was so proper, and I do love yeah. the costumes and the wardrobe. I loved it so much. I felt like it was so beautiful and elegant, and it definitely... 
me personally, I feel like if the movie did like if it had clothes from now or if it just like it wasn't really in the 1920s and the whole film would have been ruined to me. But like I definitely feel like they nailed that. Yeah, I guess it would have been different because I I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but from what you guys are telling me, I think it being set in an older time is one of the most like interesting or catchy like aspects. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so too. Well, you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today we're talking about, well, we're talking with Richard Little on Dora and the Lost City of Gold, Sarah Berdiner, which is a director of children's programming at the North Fork TV Festival at Astra. And right now we're talking about Downtown Abbey, the movie with Ava and Zoe. Okay, so Zoe, about the actors playing the characters, what did you think about the acting? Was the portraying accurate to its characters? What did you think? I love the performance. Yeah, um, I actually interviewed Hugh Bonville. He's super nice. I loved him for his performance in the film. But who I loved most of all was Maggie Smith, who played Violet Crawley. I felt like she was amazing. She was like very charming, but at the same time, very funny. And she has to be definitely my favorite character in the entire film. Yes, she's such an actor with such a great trajectory. I think it's very interesting to see like her portrayal and, you know, the variety because she's played so many characters. So I think it's interesting to see her take on a new um, personality for this film. Yeah. 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 And Ava, do you think this movie, I mean, we know it's a continuance of the series Downtown Abbey. But do you think it teaches, like, a general message or any lesson that the audience can catch on? What do you think? Um, I think the message of this movie is that you should listen to what everyone else has to say before you go on with what you want to do. Yeah, I completely understand. And, Soy, what do you think about that? Do you share the same opinion as Ava or...? Um, I actually have the complete opposite. Oh my god, please share. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of feel like the message is that we should stay true to ourselves. But I feel like, okay, so in the film, it definitely repeats that we should do what is most important or do what matters most. I feel like in the film, it definitely repeated that message. And it's so true as well. Right, yeah, yeah, well. You guys have different opinions. I mean, obviously, everybody's different. We all get, I mean, it could be the same movie, but we could all get something different from from it because we're all different. But yeah, I completely, yeah, I completely understand. And Ava, what do you think? Do you think um, this movie is targeted towards like a certain young audience or older audience? What do you think the age range would be for this film? I think the age rating for Downton Abbey is 14 to 18, and adults will enjoy it as well. Zoe, do you agree with her, or you will disagree with her again? No, I agree. Maybe um, 12 or, like, 11 to 16 and older, because there are some mildly intense scenes that can, like, kind of startle younger viewers. Right, yeah. I mean, I mean... Apart from the fact that you need to have like a background knowledge from from what you guys were telling me from the series to kind of comprehend fully. But yes, I completely agree with you. And Ava, touching upon the subject of, you know, being set older times, you think it could, It's. I mean, it's confusing for us, for like the younger audience since 
you know, were not really knowledgeable about what would happen about what what went down like in the older days. Do you think it could be confusing with the plot or? Yeah, I think it would be confusing because everyone does things a different way than they do now, and it's a little confusing to younger audiences. Right, yeah, but I think it also complements from what you guys were telling me that, I mean, it is set in an older time, and it may be confusing for us that, you know, for the people that don't know much about what would happen in the years prior to this, but it is also, from what you guys were telling me, a great dramatic and historical movie, so it complements with the interesting aspects, right? Yes. Yes. All right, well, final question, Soy, what would, what would, the starring tweet from your perspective um i would give this film a five out of five stars um like in my opinion i feel like everything was on point this is probably one of my favorite movies but the thing like you guys were saying how um especially ava that you need to see the series to understand and i didn't even know that there was a series until after i saw the movie but I don't know how or why. I just completely understood everything. Yeah, I mean, going back to what I was saying before, you know, we all have different, like, personalities, yeah. so we all get different things from the same movie. Like, we could watch the same movie, and we could get different, like, opinions or different perspectives from it. So, yeah, it's going back to that. I completely understand. And, Ava, what would the starring to be for you? Um, I think it would be three out of five stars. I do agree with Zoe that everything was on point, and it really was an amazing film. Yes, well, from what you guys are telling me, I have to go around and see this movie. It's, it really sounds interesting. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being here, girls. Anytime. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for joining us. You have been listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. To watch our latest reviews of the latest films, DVDs, TV shows, music, and apps, and to learn how you can join our Kids First Films Critics team, go to www.kidsfirst.org. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and look for our reviews on Press for Kids, kidsworld.com, and Kidsville News. This show is produced by the Coalition for Quality Children's Media for Voice America and iHeartRadio. Today's show is sponsored by Can the Hat Knows a Lot About That, Season 3, Volume 2. And don't forget, we are having a fundraiser. Kids First has launched a crowdfunding campaign to help support our Films Critics program. We are more than halfway to our goal of $15,000. And today, we ask for your support to help expand Kids First training and educational opportunities for kids, both nationally and around the world. Any penny counts. Go to www.kidsfirst.org. So we encourage the participation of this. I'm Alejandra Garcia from Miami. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you again for tuning in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Now you know more about which movies are playing and can make an informed decision. Tune in again next week.